The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Very end of Psalm 33. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in Him because we trust in His holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. Let's pray. Lord, you are God of steadfast love and mercy. Today and tomorrow, next week, forever. That's who you are. You are our help and shield. And we stand before you, sit before you, kneel in heart before you and say thank you. And we ask you to cause your steadfast love to rest upon us. Now in this moment, Lord, to guide, to remind us that as we just sung, you are in fact stronger over all of life for us. A shield, a helper in time of need. Remind us of that. Teach us now, we pray. Father, I ask you to open up the scriptures and send your spirit upon us here in this place to, to remove all distraction, be sin in our hearts or temperature in the room, all distractions, whatever they may be, Lord, remove them from us and enable us to hear you speak. Show yourself good and mighty for us, a helper, a strong shield, the lover of our souls. Make that clear and build your people and honor the name of Christ in doing so. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. turn our attention this morning to the end of Luke chapter 4, where we will see another aspect of the personal ministry of Jesus, his healing of people. Last week, as we considered the middle of this chapter, we noted that immediately after triumphing over Satan in the, the wilderness temptations, Jesus returned north to the region of Galilee, where he traveled around and began in the power of the Spirit to carry out his personal ministry. He himself now is fully center stage. John the Baptist is gone. Jesus is in the middle, drawing all attention to him. And as verses 14 and 15 summarized, he traveled throughout that whole region week after week, preaching in the synagogues, teaching people. And as people heard him and heard about him, they marveled. And it says even they glorified him, they honored and praised him. And the emphasis there in that section is on teaching, teaching in the synagogues. And then last week we saw an example of that teaching in the synagogue in his hometown, Nazareth. Jesus arrived there, and as we heard read, he deliberately selected and then read this prophecy from Isaiah, six, chapter 61, the coming Messiah, and then claimed to be the one who fulfilled it. An amazing claim. He would be the one to set people free. Alarming. And rejected. 
People thought they knew who Jesus was. He, he'd grown up there, they'd grown up there. We know who you are, the, you're not the guy. Familiarity breeds a contempt that unfortunately, tragically, sends him away, chases him away. Something that we need to watch out for. We who are very familiar with Jesus, it, it's very easy for us to, thinking we know who Jesus is, to stop looking to Jesus and stop thinking that he is the answer to every question, that he is the, the one who meets every need to stop considering him and to move on. That's something that we need to watch out for. We considered that last week as we looked at the teaching ministry of Jesus. And now, verse 31, chapter 4, we turn to look at his healing ministry. Complementary to what we have seen, and, and really the teaching ministry is never left behind. It still is in this chapter, still a, a, an important part of this chapter. But now there's something else, something special here, healing. What are we supposed to see from this section with the teaching and the healing in particular? What's, what are we supposed to learn here? What's the point coming across to us? Well, let me try to put it in a sentence. Here's, here's the main point this morning. In Jesus, the authority of God is compassionately applied to us. In Jesus, the authority of God is compassionately applied to us. And as I, as I wrote that, and as I, as I say it, and even hear myself say it now, I think it is likely that we, particularly those of us who have been in church for a while, we hear that and we say, well, yeah, sure, yeah. And I'm going to invite you to think about that again. The authority of God compassionately applied to you. Not just us, you, and that in Jesus. We're going to think about that today. I'm going to make two observations, but first let me read the passage. This is Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 31 through the end of the chapter. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching. For his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And he rose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God! But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, 
he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Luke chapter 4. Jesus goes to Capernaum, a city on the Sea of Galilee, a place he's been before and will return to often. It was kind of his home away from home. And once again, we see he's teaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath. This passage begins, once again, talking about teaching. Just like 14 and 15 began this whole section talking about teaching. And last week's passage emphasized teaching. And if you look ahead to 42 to 44, the concluding, the, kind of the bookend of this whole section is, I must preach the good news of the kingdom elsewhere. Preaching and teaching everywhere. Front, middle, end, all over the place. This is why, Jesus says, this is why I was sent. This is his main ministry focus, teaching and preaching the good news of the kingdom. But in addition to teaching, he engaged in a lot of healing, and in fact, three healing episodes form the, the center, the, the core of this passage. Each talking about something slightly different, each bringing out a slightly different point. An unknown man in the synagogue, he's first. A demon speaks up and cries out with a loud voice. It knows who Jesus is and it objects to him. The demon knows Jesus and the demon objects to Jesus and says, what have you to do with us? Seemingly, we, you have no business with us. Leave us alone. And it's a little bit hard to be certain about what the us is, the plural. Why is that plural? could be that he's referring to the kind of the demonic realm as a whole, us demons, so to speak. But since there's only one demon mentioned here, others have suggested, and, and I think this is right, that the us is the demon and the man, that the demon thinks he owns. He's mine. What have you to do with us? Go away, leave us alone. And that would explain the comment made that when the demon is cast out, he throws this man down, having done him no harm. Jesus casts out the demon without allowing the demon to do any collateral damage to the man. Kind of separates what the demon thinks he owns. No, you don't. And he casts him out with just a word. Be silent and come out of him just speaks a word and it happens. Healing from demons and everybody everywhere hears all about it. And I was like wildfire through the region. Second encounter, an individual, a woman, bedridden and sick. And like he rebuked the demon, it says he now rebukes the fever, as if the fever is personified and he speaks of the fever and rebukes it and it leaves and immediately, not slowly, not gradually, not kind of a little bit by little bit getting better. Immediately, she's fine, healed, stand up and begins to serve. Healing from disease. And then lastly, after sundown, the Sabbath has ended, so people are free to travel. And a crowd from all sorts of places with all sorts of sick and afflicted people comes. In verse 40, Jesus laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And 41 and demons came out of many. Not out of all, 
but out of some, out of many, it says. Many people who looked sick were sick, and in fact were also demon-possessed, and that's why they were sick, which is interesting for us to note. Some, and I'm going to say this like 15 times, some, not all, not none, though, many. See what I'm trying to do here? We tend to think all or nothing, but it's not. There were no demon-possessed sick people, or they were all demon-possessed people, that's why they were sick. Many, which tells us the, this crowd of people, physically, probably mentally ill, some of that, some, not all, but much, not none, some of that had a root in the demonic. And if we look throughout the rest of the Bible, and especially the New Testament, we see this over and over again. We meet people that today we would say, that guy's nuts. This person is clearly mentally ill. And in fact, it's rooted in the demonic. Some, not all. Not none, but many. See what I'm doing there again and again and again and again. I cannot, we cannot, we must not put everything in one category or everything in the other category. The Bible will not allow it. Christians cannot be possessed by an unclean demonic spirit. We have the clean Holy Spirit living in us. But Christians can be attacked and can be afflicted, and certainly non-believers can be possessed by the demon, by the demonic, and sometimes that leads to some physical, mental, emotional maladies. It's undeniably true. And a fact that should illumine some of our praying for the sick. And some of our medical treatment of the sick. Because we cannot know. Because it's some, but not all, and, and not none, but many. We cannot know. Is, is this purely natural, purely natural, biological, internal, normal? Or is this para, abnormal? We don't know. So we should pray. We should, we should keep in mind as we're dealing with sick people of all sorts that there can be, but might not be, a demonic spiritual aspect to it. We have to deal with both, which makes it complicated but something that we should note and may inform how we pray and how we address sick and ill and hurting people. But as it was, demons came out of many, and as the demons had before, they knew who Jesus was and they called him Son of God, Messiah, Lord. They all knew it. And he silenced them all. Why? Such a great chance for a great testimony. Why did he silence them? Well, probably a couple reasons. Certainly, Jesus does not want to put the demon on center stage and say, hey, everybody, listen to the demons. Listen to what they're telling you. He doesn't want to do that. He wants to eliminate them from people's view, to move them aside, not put them as the testimony as the verifiers of him. But, but additionally, 
they're calling out what is true. You are the, the Son. You are the Messiah. But the people don't understand what that means. They hear Son of God and they, they think King. They think Messiah. They think political ruler. They think political deliverer. And Jesus has a whole lot of explaining to do before they're ready to hear those words. So to prevent from great misunderstanding, he says no. And sets them aside and silences them. That's the healing aspect of Jesus' ministry, all taking place on a single day in Capernaum. Three different pieces, three different types of healing incidences, bracketed at the beginning and then here again at the end with preaching. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he moves on to teach. That's the passage from which I want to make two observations this morning. And, it, and as I do this, I have perhaps, um, I think more than usual, I have found myself hoping and praying that this, if you've read the Bible, you know this passage, you've heard this, but that this passage would grab you and do something in you far beyond the intellectual, far beyond the, the comprehension of facts, that it would grab you and move you within and something of Jesus and his astonishing, good, glorious nature would, would wow you. May God do that here in you, in us, but, but in you this morning. I'm going to make two observations, and I'm just praying all through it that God would grip us. Here's the first one. A characteristic of Jesus seen here. Jesus possesses astonishing authority and power. Jesus possesses astonishing authority and power. The people watching Jesus in this passage twice are said to be first astonished, that's verse 32, and then amazed in verse 36. Very similar. What they are encountering in him is not ordinary. It is not even slightly unusual. It's not a little bit extreme or, or somewhat unexpected. It is arresting and gripping. It grabs people and makes them look with the mouths hanging open. What is that? It's astonishing. And if we are told what it was that was astonishing. They are astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority, and they were amazed. What is this word, this thing he does by command? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they do what he tells them to do. People are seeing hard to understand authority and power in the realm of teaching and in the realm of healing. He taught, about the teaching first, he taught 
He proclaimed, he preached, it says, the good news of the kingdom of God, and he preached it with authority as his main ministry purpose. And Luke hasn't given us the details yet of any of his sermons. He hasn't told us many things that he said, but he's given us some indication, and we can track a little bit with what he has shown us already, particularly the last week's passage. Jesus is preaching the Old Testament. So he's going to be tracking with with the paths and with the trajectory of the Old Testament. He's not actually issuing any new scripture. He is taking what they already know, what they have already read before, and is opening up and making it live and making it run and making it penetrate in ways that are new. Like when he mentions Isaiah 58 in conjunction with Isaiah 61. We talked about this last week. What's he doing there? Well, he brings up 58 And certainly from that section is pointing out their failure, the failure of the people. Part of that chapter is saying, this is what you should be, but you are not. And so he addresses people in a penetrating way, convicting them of their sin and of their failure before God. But he doesn't stop there, because that's not good news yet. That that chapter itself, as well as Isaiah 61, what it moves on to, you you don't stop there, you've got to move on past that. Because what, it, what the point is, is to say, this is us, failed. And look at God. 58 itself moves on, and 61 certainly moves on and says, there is hope of redemption. Here, here's your guilt, and here's release from guilt. Here's the, the trapping captivity of sin, and here is Freedom. And all of that in and only in Christ, as he himself says, and that's me. I'm the one who brings to you freedom, the year of the Lord's favor. It is found in me. Come to me. Look at me. That would be something of his preaching, and surely he would have elaborated on and said more about what it means then to live walking with him and what it looks like to live a life day by day by day in the kingdom Certainly he would have said that, but if he would have been there and you would have heard that, you would have been gripped by it. Pierced, convicted in your sin, he would have laid you open and you would have seen, I, in fact, am a sinner. But at the same time, he would have left you hopeful. I mean, really hopeful. And this is where you should sit today. You should sit realizing, I am a sinner, but honest to goodness, hopeful. Because there's an honest-to-goodness Savior. You can be delivered from the wreckage of life, that which you've caused and that which has afflicted you. You have a need. To use the language of 61, you are needy, you are poor in spirit. And here is good news for the poor in spirit, like you. Here is redemption for those trapped under curse like you. So come and find the one you need. Jesus in the power of the Spirit is preaching the good news of the kingdom. You remember, he stopped in the middle of the sentence, stopped before the day of judgment and preaches the good news of the kingdom and says, you have a need, and here it is, come.
The moment would have carried with it convicting and encouraging rings and sounds and echoes of God. That was his main purpose. And we need to be clear about that because we are not just, we, we, don't, we don't just sit here and we're not having a history lesson. But this is what was going on. It is this is what was going on, and prayerfully it's going on right now, that you would see yourself sitting there hearing Jesus in authority speaking to you about your sin and relief from it, about your captivity and freedom. May God in authority open your eyes and call you to Christ. Again, I mean, most of you are Christians, but again, today, right now, really, to freedom. Come. That's his main purpose, but it's not his only purpose, and it isn't the main thrust of these verses. Teaching is is critical. Teaching is around the front and the back. It is the, the reason that he was sent, but it's not the main thing here. The main thing we are to see here is his authority and his power in healing. He has astonishing power and authority over demons and disease. He speaks a word and he rebukes a demon. I can say that sentence. You can hear it or you can read it. But we are hardly alarmed by it. Mostly because we don't believe in demons. Not really. I mean, you can't totally deny them because you read about it in the Bible, but come on, we're Westerners. We're better than that. We, we know better than that. <laughs> come on. Right? We watch horror movies sometimes, and you see stuff there. Maybe you see something on a television special somewhere, but really, fundamentally, we don't see much of a world that defies explanation, that is troubling, that is eerie, that is dark. We don't think that exists in the real world, and surely that's part of Satan's plan to persuade us that he doesn't exist at all, and it has been an effective tactic. It deadens us to the whole spiritual realm, to to the good and to the bad. We we really, amazingly, we, we are people, we are believers in a supernatural religion, and we pursue it naturally. We don't believe in the demonic. We barely believe in the Holy Spirit. We pursue a supernatural religion very naturally. Believing it is all about what we know, what we do, what we say, and if we can get it right and do this, thus, and so, we'll be okay. Because there isn't any actual spiritual opposition that ruins in our hearts or out in the world or in the spiritual realm. We we hardly believe in these things. But unfortunately, Satan is quite real and demons are real alarmingly, frighteningly, powerfully, terribly, wickedly real. A demon is an angelic, that is a spirit world creature, a fallen angel with great power turned into the service of pure evil. Not mild malevolence. 
Not these are bad guys. Pure evil. In rebellion against God and able to terribly afflict God's creation, including people. Able to possess, in fact, to control non-believers and to afflict and attack believers. We see even to harm with some physical illness and some mental illness, some but not all. Demons can make people to rage and to self-destruct and to fear and to cringe and terror and to lose control of their faculties and even to lose control of themselves. And we are powerless against them. Powerless. No religion... No incantations, no spells, no rituals, no bizarre sacrifices, no amount of denial or avoidance or mental trickery can control them. Only Christ can. And Christ can. Jesus does not have to contend with this demon. There is no wrestling match. There is no, if this were a movie, there would be sword play. Or you'd see, you know, glow-in-the-dark spells kind of doing this sort of thing. And then one would win. None of that. Shut up and get out of here. Done. Done. Shut up and get out of here. The end. And, and leave him alone. Don't touch a hair on his head. Go. Cast out and did him no harm. That is not amazing to you until you capture the great danger of the demonic. And then you see Christ in power with authority commanding the evil, dark realm. The present darkness all around is real and greater is the one who is in us than that all that is in the world. And that is good news. The demons are made subject to him. And so is disease. But I need, to, I need to say one more word about the demonic, though, because it's possible that, as I say that, and I, and I have to push on the demonic because we don't really believe it. I have to push on that to kind of expand our belief in the demonic. But it's possible that I'm talking to some one person out there, and you do really believe in the demonic, and now you're freaked out. Let me remind you, believe the whole story. Yes, believe the demonic. And keep reading and see, shut up and get out of here. That's also true. And there's no contest. Greater is he who is in you than he is in the world. Greater. Not slightly greater, not a lot greater, 100% zero greater. Totally greater. Don't freak out. Trust Christ.
His authority over evil and authority over disease. Obviously, those two categories merge with the masses that come sick with various diseases, some of which are demonic in origin, but not all. The fever of Peter's mother-in-law, it isn't. Clearly, it's just a fever. He rebukes the fever just like the demon, and it is gone, totally and immediately gone. Not like medicine that heals her, and her strength kind of gradually comes back as she eats a little bit of chicken soup and eats some toast and kind of becomes a little stronger. No, she's fine right away, as if nothing had happened. Such is his authority. I read once about a... uh, an account given by a sick man who was discussing how doctors had told him to be encouraged because with the, the treatment that he had had following the disease that he had, he had a 95% chance of recovery. So that's pretty good, be encouraged. And he said, to paraphrase, but it is 100% under God's control whether I am to be in the 5% or the 90%, 95%. That's what encourages me. That's what should encourage you. It's 100% in the hands of God. 100%. He's not, Christ is not a really, really good doctor. He's not the great physician in that sense. He stands in absolute authority over you in your fever, over your cancer over your chemicals that are imbalanced and your hormones that are out of whack and over your eyesight that's failing. Your broken leg and the genetic mutation you struggle with and the miscarriage that you had, Jesus possesses astonishing authority and power over all of it, 100% in charge over everything. Which is the first point, and needs the second point for it to be good news. It's the first point, and here's the second one. Jesus is very willing. Jesus is very willing to use his authority and power in compassionate care for people. Jesus is very willing to use all that authority and power, that absolute 100% zero, the absolute control. He is very willing to use it in compassionate care for people. Obviously, the authority and the power are center stage here, which is the first point. We see it acted out, but perhaps... It is equally important, maybe even more important for the sake of our hearts, to notice, to kind of look at the same stuff slightly from a different angle, to notice that Jesus is using the authority and the power that he has for people in need, for ordinary people like us in need. Regarding the teaching first, look at verse 43. The people want him to stay, but he won't. Because he's already taught them. 
He's already ministered to them. He already has used his authority and power to preach the good news to them. And he says, I must. There's a, there's a necessity within him, within the character of God, within the heart of God. There is an I must necessity. I have to go tell other people who haven't yet heard. I have to preach it in other places, this good news of the kingdom. He has a power and an authority that says, I must go to others who have not heard and proclaim to them powerfully to press into their hearts, to press into their heads, to penetrate them, to grip them with the truth of the kingdom so that they captive can be free, so that they oppressed can be liberated, so that they poor can be made rich. I have to tell them. I must go. Which should tell us something, as a little aside, something about what we should be thinking about now because how does that message go today? It goes through us. We should keep in mind something, that there's a necessity in the heart of God to go, to talk to others who haven't heard yet. That should be a little note to us on the side, but that's not the main point. The main point is this is about the heart of God here. The heart of God here. He sent Jesus to go to all these places. He has power to communicate the message and concern to do it. He has compassion on the oppressed and wants them to be freed. So you look at the teaching here and we should behold. We should behold the compassionate care of God and that he wants people to hear the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, that they may be set free, that they may be saved. We see that commitment to compassion for people in the teaching, but especially in this passage, the main point in this passage is in his willingness to physically heal. That's what the middle of this passage is. He cast out the demon in the synagogue, wielding great authority to set a man free. And we might say, well, okay, but frankly, he didn't have much choice. The demon started it. Foolishly, he picked a fight he couldn't win. Yes, okay, okay, but there's more. Simon's mother-in-law, she didn't start that, but other people did. It says that they appealed to him on her behalf. And Jesus could have said something like, man, I've been preaching all morning and dealing with that demon. Use a break, it's lunchtime. But he didn't. He says yes, and he heals her from ordinary sickness. And there's more. Evening comes, Sabbath day ends, people free to travel, and they come out of the woodwork. We don't know how many, it doesn't say, it doesn't give us a number, but there are people from everywhere with all kinds of diseases and illnesses and maladies. They come in some large number, and they just showed up at his place where he's staying after dusk and on into the darkness, and here's where we see his compassion most acutely. You've got to put yourself here in this spot. He has clearly shown he has authority and power to deal with whatever they're dealing with. He's shown that. A general be healed or a general be gone would have done the deed. As well, if, hey, it's dark, it's late. I don't want to come back tomorrow. That would have been reasonable also. 
But you don't get the deferral, the denial, and you don't get the general proclamation. But instead, one by one, he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. You have to see this. I have no idea the number, but suppose it's a group this size. In probably a space not much larger than this, and Jesus, one by one, moves from person to person to person. He stands one by one, maybe kneels, crouches in front of, maybe. The demon harassed and helpless captive before the diseased, ravaged, crippled, incapacitated, oppressed one. Locks eyes, touches the person, says, be free. Be healed. Be whole. Be complete. Be clean. See. Breathe. Walk. Feel. Think. Talk. One by one. Many demons come out. Can you imagine if, if, if somebody's in the fifth row back there and a, a shrieking demon, you are the son of God! Freak us out. Silence chases them away, moves on. Another one, it says many, again and again and again. The eruption and put down, eruption and put down because Jesus is moving one to one to one. And we begin to feel like he has command of this and he's healing one by one by one by one by one. And the demonic is no challenge to him. He's liberating people and setting them free. There must have been tears and cries of elation. People found themselves whole and healed. He keeps looking at faces and keeps touching hands and, and shoulders and heads. Dealing with these people one by one, harassed and helpless as they are, like their tender shepherd that he is. Behold in this the sweet compassion of Christ earnest and so very willing to bring freedom to people. Made all the more remarkable by the fact that he does not preach to them. Surely they know who he is. That's why they're there. The passage makes the point they've heard about all that stuff. They've heard about what he's done, what he's said. That's why they're there. But he doesn't make proclamation the main issue. He is content to heal physically in this moment, to meet with compassion the physical needs of these people, separate from whether or not they are Christians. Surely most of them are not. Do you understand that? This is what Jesus thinks about people, not just his people, people. This is Jesus. Our God, merciful and compassionate and full of loving kindness, he possesses astonishing authority and he is so very willing to use it compassionately. He has power to heal you. Authority and power over whatever afflicts you spiritually and physically. 
here and now and forever. So come to Him, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and He will give you rest and release, and He will give you help and wholeness and freedom and liberty. In any and in every way, come to Him. In any and in every way, He will give that may and, and should for a moment raise a question in our minds. But wait, 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 wait a minute. Because He hasn't healed me and He didn't heal my loved one and He doesn't always heal. So what's the deal? A question might arise for a moment, should but it should only arise for a moment because the answer is right at hand. Why didn't he heal me or her or them that time? Why not? Well, the power and the authority of Jesus are proven. The compassion and love of Jesus are proven. Here, and even more so when we think about what this message of the good news is about. This message of the good news is about a God, a King who humbles Himself to carry our iniquities and to bear our sorrows unto His own death for our life. We think about that and we see the compassion, the power proven. So if He were to lay on you, brother, sister, if He were to lay on you His hand of power and lock eyes with you in love and say, no. Or, not yet. Has he not already around that built the perfect context that makes completely clear that the no does not come from weakness and it does not come from indifference or from scorn. Don't bother me, don't trouble me, but from love and powerful wisdom that knows what is good and is willing and able and intent on doing it. Has he not set the context? Indeed he has. He has given us enough to trust Him, to trust Him in the unknown, knowing that He possesses authority and power and compassion and love. This is Jesus, your Savior, the lover of your soul, who has loved you with an everlasting love and has drawn you to Him with cords of loving kindness, even things like this. who has brought you the good news of the kingdom, who has been careful and, and determined that you would hear the good news of the kingdom that you might be set free, and has promised you one day utter liberty from all affliction. He has come, and He has died that you may live. He has been humiliated that you may be lifted up. What a Savior. What a lover. Do you believe He is this? You've got to write that down and answer it. Write yes and no and make yourself put the pencil over one. Because that's so often the question when in the midst of an uncertainty, when in the midst of trouble and temptation, when we waver or are drawn away. Do you believe that He is this? Do you believe that He loves you and is compassionate towards you even through your sin? Even through it. 
Are you coming to Him, faithfully loving Him because He has first so richly loved you? Do you believe that He is this? May you. May Christ even now, by the power of the Spirit, pierce and penetrate and with astonishing authority command your heart and draw it onto Him. For His glory and for your great good. Let me pray. Oh, Father, please make this familiar passage run in our minds and hearts and cause Christ in His compassion and in His good, gracious love to shine beautiful. You've told us that ultimately we love because You have first loved us. And here we see some of that. So would You please bear the fruit of love in us, Your people? Love towards you and love towards each other and love towards others who don't know you. Plant this seed and water it and cause it to grow, Father, Son, and Spirit, please. Build your people. Build your church and honor your name. And it's in the name of Christ I pray and ask this. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.